Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. And this can be found on page 112 uh, in your few Bibles. Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you've made, and God, we thank you for your word that you've given to us. Lord, we ask this morning that you would help us not to take your word for granted, but God, that you would speak your message into our hearts and our lives today. I pray that you'd help us uh, to let down our shields and our defenses in the ways that we try to um, mold your word into something more comfortable so we can continue to live the way we've always lived. I pray that, it, that you would get past our usual defenses and speak your message to our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Turning then to our New Testament lesson, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. In Romans 1 through 3, or 1 through 4, um, Paul has been writing to the church in Rome, and he begins uh, by letting everybody know uh, that everybody is a sinner, separated from God. And he starts with everybody else, and right about the time that the Roman church is going, yeah, those people. <laughs> and then he turns it back on them and says, and yet, us too. It's everybody. For all have sinned, he goes on to say, and fallen short of the glory of God. And so then chapter 4 is the, so, so where, where is salvation from? And it's faith, the same faith of Abraham who just believes that God will do, that he is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. And then we get to the therefore in chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast 
in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we're going to be looking uh, at a longer passage in John chapter 4, and it is a fairly well-known encounter. Before we get to that, um, I just want to ask if you all have ever watched two dogs when they first meet each other. You've seen this, right? Dogs meet each other, and what do they first do? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) I appreciate the way that you're all trying to censor your comments. Um, that's, that's good. That's good. Yes, they smell, they sniff various places on one another, uh, trying to identify and kind of see, uh, are, are we going to be friends? Are we going to be enemies? How's this going to work out? Um, what's funny, though, is you can watch dogs do this, and it's, it's, it's kind of funny to watch. But do you ever watch people do this? And I don't mean like exactly like that. <laughs> but do you ever watch people when they first meet each other? do the same sort of dance as just verbally we're sort of sniffing each other out and trying to figure out, are we going to be friends? Are we going to be enemies? How's this going to work out? Are you somebody that I like? Are you somebody who's going to like me? How's this, how's this going to go? And so, uh, and it's, it's kind of funny how similar it is to what dogs do, though we do it, thankfully, in a different way. Uh, well, we get an encounter like that this morning in John chapter 4. We're looking at, uh, at this passage, like I say, it's well known. This is when Jesus meets with a Samaritan woman at a well. Disciples are gone, and it's just Jesus and this woman, and their conversation, there's this little dance going on. How, how's this going? Who is this person? What are they going to do with me? What am I going to do with them? And from start to finish, the woman's take on the whole situation changes dramatically. And in fact, the way that John tells us the story, our understanding of the situation changes dramatically in the way that we view both Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Here's what I mean. At the start of the story, what we know about these two people, in this chapter anyway, what we know about these two people is you have a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman. That's it. That's pretty much what we know. By the end of the story, we know a lot more about both of them. That helps to explain why the dance goes the way it does, but also has an awful lot to do um, with how we 
interact uh, with each other and how we interact with Jesus. Uh, So let's go John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. Now John had no. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have, given him, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said. I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Do you see the dance? Do you see the little back and forth going on there between Jesus and this woman? There's an awful lot more going on than just a simple introduction, though. Uh, we do learn quite a bit more about them. Um, but before we get into that too much, I just want to walk you through kind of uh, how I see this particular conversation going. Uh, first of all, it's a famous story, like I say, and it's the kind of thing where sometimes if it becomes so familiar, there may be things right in front of you and you don't see them because you think you know it already. So let me ask you this. 
Who is it that starts the conversation between these two? Well, it's Jesus who starts the conversation, right? And uh, does the woman find that odd? She finds that very odd. Okay, so just stop right there. When she comes to the well, and Jesus is at the well, how does she think the conversation is going to go? Like this. Silence. She doesn't think there's going to be a conversation because Jewish men and Samaritan women do not associate. That's just not going to happen. So she's going to come, and she's going to silently get all the water she needs, and she's going to silently turn her back home and go back. And it could have gone that way, but it didn't because Jesus starts the conversation. Now, here's the thing. When we find out more about these two individuals, we find out uh, you know, later in the story that she is the wrong kind of person in every way, right? Just uh, a chapter earlier, Jesus was talking with Nicodemus. And from the Jewish perspective, Nicodemus was the right kind of person in every way. He was, uh, he was born in the right family. He was raised the right way. He, uh, he was a Jewish man who uh, was a part of the Sanhedrin. I mean, he was, he was up there. The right kind of person in every way. And Jesus goes right for his heart and says, you've got to be born again. Now, here he is in a uh, conversation with the opposite. He's in a conversation with, or in close proximity anyway, to the wrong kind of person from uh, the Jewish standards of the day. She was Samaritan. She was a woman. And she had been uh, with lots of guys. Serial monogamy, but still. Five different marriages, and now she's living with a man who's not her husband. This made her the kind of person that, of course, no Jewish man is going to associate with. And this is why, when you know, we get to read the story more than once, this is why, uh, when she reflects on this later, I mean, the same kind of thing, when we reflect on this later, we go, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. It's not just that Jesus is talking to some lady, you know? What Jesus is doing is crossing every sort of barrier that they had, every sort of social barrier, and he's crossing that line. Why? Why does he engage this woman in conversation? This is for her own good, isn't it? He is willing to cross all these lines for her good so that she would receive this gift of living water, right? That's what he's talking about. Now, we said that he's the one who starts the conversation, and I want us to be thinking in our, in our own minds, if we are the ones who have this message and we have in our own day social barriers and lines that we don't cross, that's the wrong kind of person. The question we have to be asking is, are we willing to cross those lines for the good of the other person make this offer. So that ought to be playing in our heads as we're reading this story. Um, and here's one of the things that I want, to, I want us to look at, though, is how Jesus does this conversation. And first of all, he's the one who starts the conversation, right? <laughs> he's not waiting for her to bring it up. He crosses the lines. Secondly, how is it that he begins the conversation? 
What does he start with? Does he say, hey, I hear you've had a lot of husbands? He say, hey, the guy you're living with is not currently your husband. You all ought to get married. Or what? That's not where he starts, is it? Where does he start? Does he start by offering her uh, living water? He doesn't start there either. Where does he start? This is weird. Okay, this is weird. This is probably part of the story you've missed every time. Yeah, he starts by asking her for a drink. Is that weird to anybody? Jesus is the one with the living water, right? And he asks her for a drink. Why does he ask her for a drink? Well, it actually tells us, in part anyway. Um, this is verse 6. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It's about noon. Jesus is tired. One of the things that we, uh, it's easy for us to miss is that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. And it's really hard for us to wrap our brains around that consistently and to kind of hold on to both sides of that. But Jesus got tired. And he asks her for a drink because he is thirsty. <laughs> and as she points out later, he didn't have a bucket. So here he is at the well, and there's actually something that she can do for him. And that kind of blow our minds, right? Because we think, no, 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 Jesus doesn't need anything from anybody. He can do whatever he wants <laughs> anytime. On the one hand. On the other hand, here's something that she can do for him. And I think sometimes we get in the same mindset when looking at those on the other side of uh, various social boundaries. And so uh, even in terms of mission work that we do, it's a mission evangelism or whatever. It's all, it seems very one-sided. There's nothing you can do for me. I've got something I'm going to do for you, right? That's kind of how we tend to think about it. But that's not how Jesus starts. Not with this woman. And there may be times for that, but not this time. So where he starts is, there's actually something you can do for me. He starts by humbling himself as a Jewish man. And we'll get to the rest of the identity later. But as a Jewish man, he humbles himself in front of this Samaritan woman and makes a simple request. Give me a drink. And of course, how does she respond? She's surprised. <laughs> She's surprised because people like him don't normally talk to people like her. And so we shouldn't be surprised if that is the response we get as well. But he continues. And the way he continues is actually now is where the grace comes in. And he offers her this gift. If you knew who it was, if you knew uh, the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. And how does she respond? She objects, but on practical terms. You can't give me water. You don't even have a bucket. I'm paraphrasing. And then, uh, so he offers again. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. 
All right. We all know this thirst, right? The way that, um, that Augustine talks about it, he says uh, to God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. The way Blaise Pascal said it is there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. In other words, we all know this thirst. Not the physical thirst, but the spiritual thirst. That longing for a relationship with our creator that we were all created with and to have this relationship. And as Blaise Pascal talks about, it's a vacuum. And so it's constantly sucking in anything. But there's nothing that satisfies except God himself. There's nothing that fills that hole except God himself. But we know the longing, and we also know the trying to fill it with other things. And this is where... Um, and this is where Jesus says everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again how often have we gone to other things besides God to fill that hole and it just the thirst comes back again and again and again um, are you all familiar with the acronym HALT H-A-L-T Anybody familiar with this? For hungry, angry, uh, lonely, or tired? You guys know this? Oh, today's your lucky day. Uh, there are, this is a thing that um, people talk about with addiction and psychology, that sort of thing, but, uh, but it shows up all sorts of places, and I think it's also one of the clearest ways to identify your idols in your life. Uh, which not necessarily statues you're bound down to, but all kinds of things. And so notice for yourself, when you are hungry, or when you're angry, or when you're lonely, or when you're tired, what are the things mentally, physically, where is it that you go for comfort in those times? And if it is not to God, it is likely an idol. Those are the times where we are at our weakest. Those are the times when temptation uh, tends to get the best of us. And we will go for these things and we will find destructive patterns that we go into. And you may not have even noticed that those are the times when you're most likely to go there. So that's where this is a helpful acronym. (laughs) Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And we try to fill this thirst that we feel this longing in our hearts, and we go after these other things that are killing us. And so that's where it's good that the acronym spells HALT. That's when you're supposed to just, wait, stop. I'm not going to go down that road. Where do we go instead? And so <clears throat> what Jesus says is that he gives a different gift and one that becomes a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is, by the way, the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and this is our alternative to all those other things. And so when you start feeling these ways, go back 
<clears throat> again, go back to Jesus. Uh, go back uh, to God the Father through the Spirit. And of course, she doesn't understand this. Or if she does, she doesn't want to. <laughs> Maybe you've been there too. Excuse me, I'm going to need this. <clears throat> and so she seemingly accepts his offer. You notice that? Sir, give me this water so I don't have to keep coming here to get a drink. And so what's she done? She took the words he said and said, all right, deal, I'll take that water, but not the water he means. And so she's twisted it into something just just physical. He's talking about something clearly spiritual, and she says, no, not interested in that. But the physical part, I'll take that. And how many churches are full of people who have accepted the gospel on physical terms and not spiritual terms. So sure, I'll take, I'll take the good things that God has to offer for me in this life right now. But no, I'm not interested in following Jesus in his way. I'm not interested in that kind of life. And this is where Jesus goes straight for the heart. This is what he did with Nicodemus. This is what he's going to do with her. In this conversation, as much as she tries to deflect, he goes straight for the heart for her own good. Like a skillful surgeon, he goes right in and says, go call your husband. Which, that doesn't sound like any big deal unless you know her story, which she does. But it would be the same thing as if you and I were in a conversation and I called out that idol of yours that you always run to when you're hungry or angry or lonely or tired. And there would be that part of you that just immediately goes, whoa, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Why do you have to go there? And that's what she does. To this point, she's been, it's friendly conversation. He says, go call your husband. And she just says, I have no husband. And then he explains that he has known her story from before he started the conversation. That he has known her story before he started the conversation. And so at this point, it's been kind of that little dance, right? And she's kind of trying to figure out who he is and try to put her best foot forward sort of thing. And at this point, she realizes it didn't matter. He already knew. He already knew the thing that she was most ashamed of. And still, he engaged her in conversation. He asked her for uh, a drink of water. He's offered her this gift of living water. And he hasn't let her off the hook. And so once she realizes, okay, he's something special, but she's still not ready to engage, what's she do? She does what many modern-day Christians do. Okay, fine. If we're going to have to talk about God stuff, then let's talk about God stuff, but just let's not deal with God. And so she just wants to talk theology. And so she says, you know, yes, you're a prophet, but let's not deal with my heart. Let's just talk about some theological controversy that's been going on, you know, between our two people groups. Let's see if we can stir that up and get the attention off of my heart. And Jesus says, yeah, that's, that controversy is somewhat irrelevant actually, 
because what we're really talking about is worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. She tries one last time. She says, I know Messiah is coming when he comes. He will explain everything to us. This is part of uh, beliefs that Samaritans had. Samaritans, by the way, kind of a hybrid group of Jewish people from long ago mixed in with Assyrian. Or the Assyrians had kind of populated the area, and they got all mixed up, which is why there was such animosity. But they still held, uh, they worshipped lots of other gods, but also the God of Israel. And they held to the first five books of uh, the Old Testament. And there's a passage in there where it talks about the prophet who's going to come, it's going to be greater than Moses. And in Samaritan uh, thought that this is going to be the one. He's going to be this teacher who's going to explain everything to us. And so this was kind of her last-ditch effort, where she's like, look, I'm, I'm just a Samaritan woman. What do I know? <laughs> we don't, we, we're not, there's no, yeah, we don't need to go any farther in this conversation because, you know, who am I to be able to understand such weighty things? We'll just wait for the Messiah. He'll explain everything to us. Did you just let her get off the hook with that one? No. It's for one thing. She knows enough to know her own heart. For another thing, she knows enough to know the Messiah, to be able to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And so he comes at her with this last line. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And the English translation kind of covers something up here, just a little bit. In the Greek, the way that this reads is, I am. is the one speaking here. This is the way that God does, uh, identified himself to Moses at the burning bush, a story she would have been familiar with. And this would have explained why it is that he knows her story even before he talks to her. He is the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. And so in this one story, we have Jesus identified as fully divine and fully human. And we see him on his mission. And here's the other thing. Notice we talked about, you know, when you're hungry or angry or lonely or tired. It's really interesting if you want to, this is kind of your homework assignment. You can find places in scripture where Jesus answers each one of those things. Uh, he is the fulfillment of those for us. I am the bread of life. There, I'll just get you started. Okay, so, uh, but notice that Jesus is tired. That's why he sits down at this well. And yet, him being tired is, does not take him off his mission. Him being tired does not lead him down a road toward idolatry or sin. And a lot of times we use those things in our own lives as excuses for, well, I was tired, so, or, well, I was hungry, so, or, well, I was angry, so, or I was lonely, so. But when we see with Jesus, it doesn't take him off his mission, and it doesn't have to for us either. He says to the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him 
and we've given you living water. This is the same message that he speaks to us, and this is the same message he's given us to speak to the world. Let us not do the same dance the Samaritan woman did and try to get off onto any topic besides what's going on in our own hearts. Let's be ready to receive that gift of living water that truly satisfies. And then as we go out to share this message, let's not get taken off message as everybody else tries to do this dance and evade and distract. But just like Jesus, let us cross those boundaries and those barriers for the good of the other person, humbling ourselves before them, asking them for help, but not neglecting to offer the gift of life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.